0: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom socks.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. To right. <laughs> Kim right. Wright.
0: Welcome in to the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm your host, as always, Henry Chisholm. uh, And I stopped by the Blake Street Tavern to record today's show on my way back from Boulder where there were press conferences this morning. Uh, Blake Street Tavern, as you guys know, my favorite place to hang out. Um, Hopefully I'll run into one of you guys the next time we're in here because we are in here a lot. Uh, Before we talk about what we learned in the press conferences in Boulder this morning and there were a lot of them i think uh, tony brown started it off and then kj trujillo and then tyson summers and then steven montes and then nate landman and then mel tucker i mean i mean half the team was talking today so there's there's a lot to get to but before we do that i want to talk a little bit more about drift car sharing Uh, just to sum it up, basically, if you're flying out of Denver International Airport or many other airports across the country, you can just drop your car off at their lot. It's like five or 10 minutes away from the airport and they'll shuttle you to the airport and you don't have to pay to park your car there. They will actually pay you. Um, if your car gets rented out, I think, I think mine, they said would get about 20 bucks a day while I'm in Eugene. And even if nobody rents it, then you still get to park for free and they'll clean your car for free. Uh, Allstate insures your car so you, you can trust them. You don't have to worry about somebody wrecking it because that'd be taken care of, obviously. Uh, it's, it's honestly just like a super cool deal that I'm still hoping to try out this weekend while I fly out to Eugene. But I'm not totally sure that I'm going to have time to get my car clean enough. And take all my golf clubs and stuff out of it, so that I could actually drop it off and give it to them. But plan is still to figure out a way to try that out this weekend, so I can let you guys know. Also, if you're like me and you're under 25, you can actually rent their cars without paying the under 25 fee, which is awesome because everywhere I've looked, I'm supposed to pay another 25, 50 bucks a day to rent a car and that's really frustrating. Not with Drift, so check out Drift Car Sharing. Okay, Uh, Buffs football. There was a lot going on today, like I said. Let's just start at the beginning. Uh, Tony Brown talked about his role, how he's kind of known that he's had this in him. He doesn't look at himself as too clutch. He just goes out there and does his job. He said he likes the moment. Um, I think uh, Mel Tucker also said later on that Nothing that Tony has done this season has really surprised him. He he knew that this is what he could do because he's making plays in practice, in camp, and it's translating to the field, just like Mel kind of expected. Uh, maybe not too much there. I think one of the common questions throughout the day was, I mean, what's, what's it going to be like playing at Autzen Stadium in Eugene, Oregon, against a ranked in-conference opponent, you know? It's, it's going to be, at least I think for the second half of the game, it'll be the only college football game on national television. There are going to be a lot of eyes on what's going on in that game, and there's some pressure because they're playing a good team. They're playing in a loud environment. It's, it's a lot to take in. It's a, it's a huge home field advantage up there. But, I mean, the, the answer to that question for pretty much everybody was about what you'd expect that it's just another football game. They're going to do what they need to do between the lines and not really worry about anything else. I think a couple of the guys, I think Tony might have been one of them, who said, like, yeah, it's it's pretty cool that we get the opportunity to do this. But typically, they just said, we aren't worried about it at all. We're just just out there to play football, and that's what we're going to do, which is probably the right attitude. I don't know. I mean, if you're just trying to totally block it out, you're not even thinking about it, it might sneak up on you and – Once you actually get out there and see everything that's going on, it might catch you off guard. It might make you realize that maybe you should have put a little thought into what's going to be going on. But, I mean, you have to like what you heard that they aren't trying to let that get to them. Uh, Another note is that a couple of the guys actually said that today was a bit of an off practice, that it wasn't quite as crisp or as clean as they wanted it to be. They're in pads today. It's technically a Wednesday practice for them because of the short week, because they play Oregon on... F- I, th- I don't think I've said this. They play Oregon on Fox Sports 1 Friday night at 8 o'clock Mountain Time. So with the short week, I mean, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, so we don't have to dig in too much more, but... I really do think that that benefits the buffs a lot more than it benefits Oregon, just because, I mean, Oregon should win this game. I, I haven't checked the line today, but yesterday it was about three touchdowns that Oregon was favored by. That's a lot. And any bit of variability, instability that you can throw in and change up how teams prepare, just how how the game plays out. You have to take that if you're the buffs. And if you're Oregon, I don't know. It's a little scary. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Um, what else did we learn today? So tough practice. It's it's technically the Wednesday practice. They're in pads. They've kind of had to rush to get everything put together. Uh, they're still trying to build up toward the end of the week. And when they do build up toward the end of the week, that's when they're going to try to start working in a couple of the injured players. Got a little bit of an update. uh, Mikhail Onu, I'm pretty sure, actually came in again late in the game. He hasn't been on any of the injury reports or mentioned as a guy who's injured. And he didn't look like himself when he came back late. But, you know, that's that's probably a sign that he's going to be good to go. That's my read on the situation, at least. And uh, outside of him, still don't really know about Katie Nixon, don't know about LaVisca Chenault. Don't know about Mustafa Johnson, but just because he does have that high ankle sprain, I would guess that that takes just a little bit longer to recover from. So, I mean, again, these are all game-time decisions, day-to-day guys. But I would guess that Mustafa is just a little bit behind the others because of what his injury is. Um, a couple of guys who are progressing, maybe a little bit better than expected. Um, I think Mel Tucker said Brady Russell is trending toward being able to go. So that's a good sign. Um, and he said something about Jalen Sammy also being, you know, somebody that they're working in, they're, they're feeling a little more confident about. So that's that's some good news uh, that to have those two guys back. Obviously losing uh, Mustafa, losing LaVisca, KD, those are some of your best players, and they're game changers. Another note, uh, Colby Purcell, the offensive lineman, the guard who started most of the games this season, did not start on Saturday because of an issue with his gallbladder, which is kind of out of nowhere. But apparently he had symptoms flare up. I think the night before the game, before the game he was testing it out and he ended up having to get surgery on it. Uh, Mel said he isn't really sure if uh casey is going to be able or colby is going to be able to come back casey roddick is the backup who will likely fill in for him again this week Uh but mel said that he isn't sure if colby purcell will be able to return this year he's listed as indefinitely out um on the depth chart or the injury report they released today uh not not many new details on that injury report I think that that about sums all of that up. Obviously, any one of those guys would be huge, huge to have back. If you if you get a bunch, then all of a sudden maybe you can make a game out of the, what's going on Friday night. Um, what else do we learn? Uh, S- uh, Steven Montez, a lot of his media availability focused around his performance at Oson a couple of years ago when he made his or he he got his first real uh, reps as a college quarterback and he played well um, you know he was asked what do you remember from it and he said actually most of the second half is a blur. he doesn't really remember anything. He remembers a couple plays. I think he mentioned a one-handed catch by Bryce Bobo, um, an interception from... uh, I can't remember who he said the interception was. You guys probably remember the interception. But, uh, yeah, that's interesting to hear that that's all just kind of a blur to him. He did mention, you know, you guys talk a lot about how great that was. But I actually threw two interceptions in that game. And... You know that's true. I mean, I obviously I wasn't following the buffs. I wasn't covering the buffs when that game happened, but I have heard quite a bit about that game, and I have not heard about the two interceptions. So he does say that some of the some of the differences between now and then. He's he's become more mature. He feels like he knows how to play within himself a little more. He had some some good thoughts about keeping himself level headed, um, not not getting too high, not too low. I think he he said if. If you get too high, then you make decisions that are uncharacteristic of yourself. And if you get too low, you make decisions that are uncharacteristic of yourself. And that's why he tries to be more stable himself, but also serve as a stable, stabilizing force in that locker room. I uh, talked about a conversation he had with Daniel Arias after uh, the the dropped f- potential 50-yard touchdown last Saturday. Um, apparently, Steven... Went up to on the sideline, said so like, "Hey, you know, it's it it happens. We're gonna need you to come back and make a play later in this game." And he said, "Arias responded well, made a couple catches, and you know, what what more can you ask for after the drop?" Um, I think that those are kind of the key points there. Tyson Summers had some interesting things to say about Oregon, as you'd expect, as that defensive coordinator. You know, he he said you know with with the way the season is going with the injuries they've had, if they'd normally have forty different fronts, forty different twists off of all of the or maybe not forty different fronts, but forty different ways they could twist what they have with a front, you know all the different stunts that you can run, catch an offensive line off guard right now they're down to maybe a quarter of that because. The, they they still just need to keep learning what they're doing, especially the guys who are stepping up into roles that they weren't supposed to be filling this season because of the injuries. Uh, interesting to hear that. It's something that I think we've all kind of been assuming that they've been running this little bit shallower playbook defensively as they do try to continue to learn their different roles and responsibilities. But to hear him actually say that it's... I don't know. It's nice. It it puts it puts those conversations to bed because we do know that they are holding back just a little bit. They have to hold back just a little bit. Uh, I think that those are kind of the key points. Um, Mel did talk. He was talking about KJ Trujillo in particular. Um, he was asked about him and said that he's been approaching KJ and trying to get KJ, the true freshman cornerback, onto the field as a starter as, you know, he's, he's trying to look, find a way to relate to him, to talk to him, and it's it's going well. And he said that he does that by doing the same thing he does with every player. You know, they have the, the three things that they want to do as coaches, which is, you know, teach, uh, develop, and one other word, I can't, motivate. I think it's motivate. Teach, motivate, develop. Those are like the three pillars this coaching staff looks at when they're working with these student-athletes. He said that that's where you start, but as you build relationships with each of them individually, you start to learn how you can do those things better for each one of them instead of using some sort of blanket approach. And he said that kJ' is a guy who, you know he has a longer attention span than a lot of the guys on the team. He's able to focus. He's very quiet. He asks good questions. He asks a lot of questions. all all things that you want to hear about somebody who, could be a starting cornerback for a few years now, with Chris Miller out for a, the rest of the season. You know they're eyeing the fall camp return. He there's a good chance that he gets some more starts uh, the rest of the way this season comes back, and with Delrick Abrams gone, he might be a favorite for a starting job. It sounds like he has the ability to handle that. You know when he was talking today, he gave some pretty short answers. I'm not sure if uh, you know he seemed he, he seemed confident uh he seemed focused um what he said all kind of lined up with what everybody else was saying but they were pretty short responses i i almost wonder if he was just a little bit nervous because you know press conference day you have a couple tv cameras you have all the normal reporters there are probably like 10 12 15 people just circling him listening to what he has to say uh but you see he he is a young kid um and he asked you know is it he was asked is it tough to go play football when you are a young kid. And he said, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm young. I, I've been playing football since I was four, and so now I'm just going out and playing football. I mean, it's I guess that's the attitude you have to have in that situation. Um, also talking to Tyson Summers about the same thing. on uh, These young guys, especially on the defensive line, going up against a stacked Oregon offensive line, which we're going to talk about in the second segment. We're going to dig into the Oregon offense a little bit today. And see if we can figure out what's what's going on there. Um, but he was talking about the young defensive tackles. You know, uh, Niam Rodman, uh, a couple of those guys. But he he said, you know, what they're doing, they're they're very good for how young they are. You know, they're getting rotated in. They're probably a little bit too raw, but they're they're still performing well. You know, they're doing all these things, but when they get out there with Oregon's offensive line, they don't care whether you're 18 or whether you're 22. They just want to knock you down. And so it's been kind of instilling that same mindset because that's what Oregon wants to do um, is just play physical football. So, yeah, I think that those are kind of the big takeaways um, I can't think of anything else we really need to talk about. I, I didn't mention anything Nate Landman said, but I can't remember anything that really sticks out about it. I think that that'll probably do it. Uh, before we get into the Oregon offense and what to watch for Friday from that Oregon offense, I want to take a second to talk about Breckenridge Brewery. I'm not drinking a Breckenridge beer right now, but I was really tempted to because I am at Blake Street Tavern, and whenever I'm here, I do have one. There's actually a sign for it right next to me: the Autumn Ale, 5.50 draft all month. It's a steal. They have a few different Breckenridge beers here at Blake Street Tavern. Um, try them all. You know, I, I've been drinking the Summer Sky or the Strawberry Sky all summer and it's my favorite. I feel like I might need a more wintry beer. I've had the Autumn Ale. It's really good. That might be my next go-to. I might be transitioning to that one. Um, definitely check them out. If you haven't checked out the Breckenridge beers yet, use the beer locator on the, their website, and it, it will tell you where you can get it. And it's really good, and they support us, and they give us a lot of beer for our tailgates and do a bunch of cool things for us, and so we do this for them and hopefully you guys will support them just like you support us. Uh, Also want to tell you that if you drink too many Breckenridge beers, then you can try Vita Mobile IV. So I've talked about this before, but it's been a while. Basically, you call Vita Mobile IV and they will bring an IV to your house or your apartment or your dorm room or your office or wherever you would need some hydration. Usually people, I don't know if I can say usually, people like us probably use this when they drink too much and need to cure a hangover. Um, I know like pro athletes like do it all the time to get hydrated before they have to go do something. Uh, I wonder if like the buffs have like an IV thing. They might. But uh, for, for those of us who aren't professional athletes who need to keep themselves super hydrated, it's more of a hangover thing. And the best part is, you know, it takes 30 minutes. It cures your hangover. It's awesome. There's actually a video on the DNVR Broncos Facebook page of Ryan Konigsberg doing this after the Broncos draft party and the preseason game that we watched here at Blake Street Tavern. Um, he, he called them. He said he felt immediately better. It's actually not as expensive as you'd think. It takes 30 minutes. If you use the code HYD20, you can save 20% off. Uh, so yeah, they also have an app. So you, if if you're a frequent IV user, you can just download their app, which is pretty convenient. All right, uh, back to football. Um, the Oregon offense—it's different. It's a lot different than what it's been in the past. You know, this isn't this isn't your traditional speedy offense that you would expect the Ducks to have. You know, the, that's kind of been their brand for the last. 10 years or so instead this is a very physical offense they're built on that offensive line obviously i've justin herbert at quarterback potential number one overall pick uh the skill position players really aren't that good they trade theirs for the buffs in a heartbeat but uh i don't know let's let's start with justin herbert that seems like a good place to go senior quarterback obviously he's been the starter for a few years and so far this year, he's he's on pace for his best season of his career pretty easily. You know, a lot of people had doubts. Sometimes he disappears for games. Sometimes he makes some bad decisions, that kind of stuff that college quarterbacks typically do. He really hasn't been doing that this year. Uh, he's completing about 72% of his passes, which is four points higher than his best season up to this point. 15 touchdowns, one interception. The one interception came against Cal this week. And I mean, it was a bad throw. It was like 30 yards downfield. There was a tight window um, and it just closed on him. Somebody got it. Uh, Somebody was able to pick that ball off, obviously. You know, it's he's been incredibly efficient. He's done well with everything he's been asked to do, but he really hasn't been asked to do as much as he has been in the past. Again, this is not like some high flying offense. This is run out of the pistol, lots of play action, a lot of option concepts. Actually, you know, RK texted in the Broncos group last night. Um he he asked, like, have you guys noticed that there have been so many triple option concepts all over the NFL? It's like, yeah, they're everywhere. It's all this like super innovative young new stuff that's pulling off these historic offenses. And I have a bunch of theories as to why. Like, I th- I think my f- my favorite the reason that you're seeing the NFL right now is because all of the money's on the defensive side of the ball. So if if you're somebody who's six five, three hundred pounds, you're playing defensive line, not offensive line. And as the offensive lines in the NFL have gotten worse, offensive coordinators have kind of countered that by having these defenders block themselves. You know, they take themselves out of their play by committing to somebody who is not going to end up getting the ball. Instead, the blocker goes up to the next level and blocks somebody. As long as you have a quarterback who makes the right decisions, you know that works. Um, little tangent there, but you see it a lot in college football too, and you see a lot of that with Oregon. You know, they run those read options. They people forget that Justin Herbert's a pretty decent runner too. There was a second and thirteen in the game against Cal this weekend fourth quarter like nine minutes left and you know he drops back to pass there's a running lane in front of him the the Ducks are up 10-7 at this point so they're they're near midfield they turn the ball over they punt whatever Cal Cal has a chance to come back and win the game pocket kind of opens up and Herbert runs for 20-25 yards because the running lane was there. They were so focused on stopping his arm that they didn't stop his legs. It's a, it's a different type of runner than Cleo Tate. He isn't going to be super shifty. He isn't quite as quick. He's more of just like a straight line guy than slide whenever he has to slide. But it's a threat for sure, and that's something that the Buffs are really going to have to watch out for this week. But going back to what I was saying, you know, he hasn't been asked to do as much. This team has kind of built its identity around this offensive line, an offensive line that a lot of people think is the best in the country. And I mean, you see why when you watch them on tape; they're they're throwing guys around, they're opening running lanes, they're protecting him. It it, it truly is one of the few great college offensive lines right now. The problem for Oregon is that they just don't have the skill position players to to take care of it. So you know the, you you don't have any receivers that really stick out. The running backs are pretty average. Uh CJ Verdell, I think it's I think it's CJ, yeah. Um he he's their starting running back, you know, decent numbers, but he went down, I think with a knee injury in the last game. Uh people in in Eugene were pretty concerned that he might not be back for a while, but he was back practicing monday there it's a good sign i don't think mario cristobal the oregon head coach has committed to playing him friday night but it sounds like he will be ready um which obviously is great to hear that the kid's not hurt makes it tougher for the buffs to win of course but um you know they they don't have the skill position players they don't have the explosive plays because of that this this offense just can't it, do- it doesn't have a top gear. You know, there's so many plays where it feels like, kind of like Alex Fontenot was talking about last week. You know, Alex says uh, he, he feels like he's running well, but there's just one last tackler he needs to brush off or juke or something, get by him, and all of a sudden he's gone. And he feels like there's just been a few times over the last few weeks where he just can't quite get that last guy to miss and really open things up for the big play. That's what you see when you watch this Oregon team on tape. You know, they're, they're not bad backs by any means. Like, it's still Oregon. They have big running lanes. They get ahead of steam. They still get, like, the 10, 12-yard runs, but they have the second fewest 20-yard plays in the Pac-12. They've, they've gotten 22 20-plus-yard uh, 20 plays. 15 of those 22 came against Nevada and Montana. So not, not overly inspiring. Um, of those 22, only five were run plays the 17 passes or to 10 different players. You know, they just don't have any consistent threats, anybody who's really scaring you at this point. And that's that's an interesting interesting matchup for the Buffs defense, which has given up so many big plays. I mean, by that stat though, if you're going by 20 yards or more, they're pretty average. I think they're tied for 7th in the Pac-12. So, like, that's at 7th, 8th, maybe bottom 3rd if you call them 8th. You know, actually, they still wouldn't be. They'd still be in the middle. But, I mean, that's college football. It's going to be scary, though. I mean, Aaron Maddox still probably isn't ready to come back. I don't think he was listed on the depth chart. He was still listed under injured. All the questionable day-to-day guys are still listed on the depth chart. It's... uh, I mean, KJ Trujillo, you're going to, you're going to see, maybe see some Mark Perry, see some Sam Neuer. It's not a a perfect situation. You know, it's great that Oregon's a team that hasn't been able to take advantage of that kind of stuff, get those big plays. But this also could just be what sparks them down the road or, I mean, you know, it could be what sparks the buffs. That's of course, if you're the buffs, that's what you want to hear. They can't get those big plays because that's been the problem all season. But, you know, it's a it's it's still a problem. Um the the one real threat that Oregon does have offensively is its tight end. Jacob Breland is I mean, somebody that Andre and I have Andre Simone and I have talked about a lot on the DNVR draft podcast as a potential target. Maybe not for the Broncos because they did just draft Noah Fant, but for somebody maybe even pretty high in the draft because he is a very talented athlete. You know, 6'5", 250, he's leading Oregon in receiving easily. 23 receptions, 352 yards, five touchdowns. You know, he's he's made a bunch of their big plays. He's already almost matched last year's numbers. He's going to match them by the end of uh, this game. And, you know, five five catches for 87 yards against Cal. The week before, 78 yards against Stanford. And he had two touchdowns. He's a good player. And the Buffs really haven't seen a guy like him this season, like a real dominant tight end. It, it, it will be kind of telling to see whether that's something that the Buffs can handle because typically your tight ends are, you know, matching up on a linebacker. And guys like Nate Landman, John Van Deest are going to be asked to cover him one-on-one at points In zone coverage. He's going to be around there uh, for a lot of the game. We'll see how they respond. It's it's a new challenge that they really haven't faced, and you know it's a it's it's something that many teams struggle with covering tight ends, especially tight ends like Breland. Um, another another player to watch for for sure and more than you're watching him watch watch how the buffs try to cover him because it it's going to more than likely be a bit of a struggle to keep him quiet uh that offensive line though i mean it's it's for real they're just wanting to open up holes and grind out the yards they're not asking Justin Herbert to do nearly as much as they have in the past, in part because they don't have the weapons, in part because they do have the offensive line to just play conservative football, let their defense do the work, um, and they just want to grind downfield. They aren't picking up those big chunk plays even with that offensive line. Um, I think that that's pretty much everything I want to talk about. You know, with that offensive line being what it is, I was surprised to see how much pressure Cal got uh, in the game last week. You know, if you guys didn't watch that game, Cal-Oregon, Oregon Oregon won 17-7, I think. Yeah, 17-7. But, you know, it was an ugly game. There were turnovers. There were fumbles. uh, Nobody could move the ball. Missed field goals. It was a defensive battle, and that's the type of team that Oregon is now. Under Mario Cristobal, and it's very different than what they were. I mean, think back to Chip Kelly; it's totally different. Um But that's the takeaway. I mean, teams are both teams are getting pressure. Justin Herbert was being hit pretty pretty consistently. He was still composed, still making plays when he needed to make the plays you got to see something like that from the buffs, you know, having Jalen Sammy back would really hurt or, I mean, really help because he can hold down the middle of the field at the point of attack. You can have him clog up those a gaps. I mean, it'd still be a matchup that Oregon's happy with because there are so few guys that they wouldn't be happy lining up against in the entire country. They're just that good. Just having a body though, even if he is young, maybe not totally developed yet, but, just having another big body to clog up those running lanes would be huge. Mustafa Johnson trying to get some pressure, of course, uh, would be massive for Colorado this week. Yeah, okay, I think that that's actually everything that I needed to talk about. Um, overall takeaways, you know, the the Oregon's offensive weakness is that they can't come up with the big plays. Colorado's defensive weakness is that they can't stop big plays, We'll see which one of those is weaker on Friday night. Um, Okay, we're going to uh, talk for just a second about uh, Denver Rubber Company before we get into your guys' comments from yesterday's show. So, you guys know that uh, we really care about supporting local businesses here at DNVR, and we're really excited to tell you about the Denver Rubber Company. It probably isn't what you think it is. Um, It's the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects. Since 1972, Denver Rubber Company has provided the highest quality of products from custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, to custom contract manufacturing, and custom hoses. DRC offers innovative solutions to serve a diverse line of industries, including aerospace, pharmaceutical, construction, medical, military, electronics, pretty much everything. Um, An ISO certified company that will work with you from design to final product that is both cost effective and it will meet your requirements. If you're in need of custom design material selection for your product or for your project or have a deadline to make for a large order, do not hesitate to call Denver Rubber Company. Call them today at 1-800-259-0010, or you can visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr. Okay, uh, time now to hear from you guys, which is the best part of the show every day. Uh, okay. Okay. Okay, before, before we get into it, I should say, if you guys want to comment, leave your questions, leave your thoughts, tell me I'm wrong, whatever you want to do, you can subscribe to thednvr.com, and then every day when I post the podcast, I'll put a post up on the website, like this one was DMVR Buffs Podcast, Why Colorado Isn't Out of the Pac-12 South Title Race. That was yesterday's show. Put um, links to the show, put the little player in, the, in there too, and then... If you comment that down on the bottom, comment in the comment section, I will read it on the next day's show, and that's what this is now. Uh, It's a lot of fun. Just ask Sunny Rain and Silverbuff. So, Sunny Rain says, Henry, I read an article from the Tucson Daily Star, and when Colorado would score, they were literally telling Khalil Tate, don't worry about it. Everyone on the field is open. And that was before Onu got hurt. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a problem. Um I believe it. I, I totally believe it. Especially telling a guy like Khalil Tate that because he is so up and down. You know, if you have Peyton Manning on the sideline, you don't go, Hey Peyton, everybody on the field is open. Just because, you know, that's it's a little diminutive, you know, it's it's not it's it's a way to like not take it quite so seriously. It's just like relax, get out there. And that's not something that a lot of quarterbacks, you know, even Steven Montez probably doesn't want to hear exactly that because he has that confidence. He's like, we don't need everybody to be wide open. But telling a guy like Khalil Tate who has struggled throwing the ball this year, like, hey, everything is wide open. It's more of like a – it's not like mocking Colorado as much as it is saying just relax. There are options. It's just your turn to go do what they just did. Um, I am surprised that came out. I am really surprised. I, I wonder, was that something Khalil Tate said after the game? I was tempted to go to their press conferences. I was really tempted instead of going to Colorado it was just to hear what they had to say after all that. But uh, I wonder if that was Khalil Tate just saying, like, hey, here's what I heard. Here's what they were telling me. And, you know, it was true and it worked and it put him in the right mindset. He still made some crazy decisions, just absurdly bad decisions but not nearly as many as he usually does, in part because the way that defense was playing, it would have been tough to make a bad decision. Like, you would have to search out somebody who is covered. Um, I like that. That's great information to be throwing these comments. Um, and then he continues, that's why you switch and play man. Take the thinking out of it for the young players, and if Tate runs, fine. Maybe you'll get to hit him for a change because he wasn't getting touch standing in a five-yard halo all day. Also very true. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would have loved to have seen them switch to man. Like, we talked through all the reasons they wouldn't have done that. You know, they were all right all the way up until halftime, and that's when they make most of their adjustments, especially when you have young players. It's hard to communicate on the fly. But, you know, still when it happened, when they started to get hot, it obviously what they did didn't work. And so in hindsight, it's really easy to say, should have tried man, and I'm going to say that right now. You know, it is easy. I, I don't know that these young cornerbacks are able to win those one-on-one matchups. I think that there's a good chance that they get burned. But, you know, give it a run. Definitely give it a run. Why not? Uh, He finishes, hey, I keep hearing about how Oregon State and UCLA is in that bottom tier of the teams in the conference. We need to take OSU out of that tier. Those kids can play, and I'm glad CU doesn't have to deal with them this year. They lost to Stanford, but they're way more explosive. It's UCLA all alone in the cellar. I think that that's fair. I think that if you were to rank the teams now, Oregon State is right up above UCLA. Cutting those tiers, though, is tough, especially for that bottom tier that might just be UCLA. Like, I I mean, I don't think that that's a bad take at all. I still think that I'd put them together just because, you know, they've shown flashes like Oregon state hasn't shown the ability to really win games. Sure. They beat uh, UCLA this week by 17. That's a, that's a big win. That's a good win. And they beat Cal poly, but I mean, they got blown out by Oklahoma state. Lost a close one to Oregon State, lost a close one to Stanford. I'm not all that bought in on Stanford. And so, like, it's easy to say, like, they should be in that tier above UCLA. But at the same time, UCLA also had that great comeback against Washington State. And so I think that's what elevates UCLA up into that same tier. But I mean, I, I'm, I, I don't love that take i think i think that you have a decent point there that it might just be ucla all alone um also i mean ucla i just pulled up these results they came back and beat washington state lost to arizona by three lost to oklahoma by 34 lost to san diego state by nine lost to cincinnati by 10 you know they. Neither of these, I don't believe, are good football teams. Like, Oregon State might be improving. I'm not high on Stanford, even though they'll keep that close. I don't know. I do think it's good that the Buffs aren't beating Oregon State because I do think that they're still underrated just because of how bad they've been for so long. A, a loss to Oregon State is still going... Like, like, it's it's going to be a meme, you know? Even if it doesn't deserve to be... I like that take. I like having that conversation too. Um, okay, another comment. This one from Silver Buff who says regarding Montez running. If you watch his first run against Oregon in 2016, he can run. Whether the coaches are telling him not to risk injury or if he's lost it is up for debate. If he wants to make a bowl, he will likely need some clutch runs. Yeah. So I cheated and looked at these comments before right now and kept out a lot of the stuff about Montez running that we learned from the press conference today. Um, so Mel did say that Stephen is doing what we are asking him to do, uh, specifically when asked about the running. You know, I, I think that a lot of it is the coaching staff saying, like, stand in the pocket. This is your job. Keep the offense on time this way. If things really do break down, then go ahead. But make sure they've broken down before you make a play because, you know, it's like Steven said – you know, I, I I feel a lot better with the ball in Lavisca's hands or Katie's hands or he actually led with Dimitri Stanley. He said like I I feel a lot better with the ball in Dimitri's hands, Katie's hands, Lavisca's hands uh, than I do running the ball myself, which makes sense. And that's you know how playing quarterback works. You are giving it to those skill guys and letting them make a play. And there have been so many times when when things break down. That's almost when the Buffs offense is at its best. And, like, you you stay in the pocket, you keep it on time, you, you pick up your 5, 10, 15 yards, whatever, every, every single play, work your way down there. But if things break down, that does give the receivers an extra two seconds, one second, two seconds to get open. And Steven's arm really doesn't get much worse when he's out there, out of the pocket, on the run, making plays. So I think that that is the system. Like, if, if they rush you, then all of a sudden you're one-on-one, downfield more than likely roll out of the pocket find yourself a gap and take advantage of one of those one-on-ones because those guys can run away from most corners uh tony brown said the same thing they actually do a drill for uh working on that not a surprise most teams i, I would guess all teams do a drill working on when plays break down quarterbacks and receivers making something happen rolling out having the receivers mirror him one guy deep one guy short and giving him options just because the talent is so good at those exact things for the buffs. I I feel like that's one more reason to tell Steven don't, don't run unless you're sure that it's the right decision. Um, Talking about him losing it, it kind of does seem like he may have just lost it. Like he looks different, slower and maybe his body's just filled out and that's what it is. But he does look like he has kind of lost that ability to run. Maybe he just took a hit at some point and now he just runs a little hesitant. I'm not really sure. But he talked about the running. I, had, I think he had 21 rushing attempts or something like that uh, in that first game against Oregon. And he said today, you know, that's – it's like an out-of-body experience right now just even thinking about me running the ball that many times. Like it doesn't seem real like – and then he said, you know, I'm whatever, 6'5", 248, I think he said, which seems pretty heavy. That doesn't seem right. I bet it was probably just a joke. But, you know, he isn't, he doesn't look as fast as he did a couple of years ago. And I haven't spent too much time going back. I went back and watched, like, the Oregon highlights because I felt like that was something that I should probably know going into this week, obviously. Like, what actually happened, not just what people are saying. But, yeah, I'm... It's one of those weird things like especially in college football, you know, the the guys do what you tell them to do. They go out there, they do their job. When you tell Steven, it's it's almost like you're setting the settings in like video games, you can like change the thing like how like in FIFA particular like how likely do you want this guy to be to race upfield from the back line? you like like, make all these settings. Tell him exactly what to do. And it's almost like that for Steven where it's like, okay, run 10% of the time or less than that, 5% of the time is the right number. But you just have to feel out when it's in that 5% of best times to run. Outside of that, they want him throwing the ball. And I like it because he's looked good throwing the ball to me. I think that this offense – is I, I like this offense. I, I don't think I've said that before, but I really do like this offense, having seen it now. I think I've said that I've liked what we'd heard about the offense going into the season, but I've been impressed by what I've seen. You know, figuring out the play calling, like Jay Johnson said last week, it's, it's a learning experience for him as well just because he doesn't know this personnel. You know, when he comes back next year as offensive coordinator, he knows who all these guys are as players, even, you know, Maurice Bell, Vontation, he sees them in practice. He knows what they are. He knows how to use them. If you won't have the same slow start trying to figure out, you know, what, what is he even thinking? You know, I thought they ran the ball too much in the second half. I, I didn't think that they relied on this offensive system, this passing system that's served them well. And sure, they were down a couple of receivers and that plays into it, but, You know, I I do like where this offense is going. I like this system. I think that Steven is doing a very good job of running the system, which is what he's been asked to do. You know, everybody just has their one job. It's LaVisca, you run 10 yards downfield, then run inside. This offensive lineman, you block him, whoever. You know, it's it's all very set up just for Steven to kind of be the operator of the whole thing, to stand in the pocket, take his drop, step up, Make one read, two reads, then throw the ball, and I've been pretty impressed with his ability to do that and I've been very impressed with his ability to make something out of nothing you know it's it's risky, but you know when you buy more time, there's a reason they call it buying more time, like there is a cost, you lose these easy completions you you increase the chance of an interception, all these bad things can happen like the longer a play is, the more likely it is that there's a holding more likely it is that, you know, all these different things, the game just becomes so much less controlled, more varied, kind of like we're talking about with Oregon. The way a short week makes everything just a little bit less predictable, it makes it less likely that the better team is going to come out on top, and that helps Colorado. When Colorado's on offense, you want the least amount of variability possible. You want to go out there, just do the simple things that you know that you are better than the defense at doing, because this offense is that good. And so when you just set up in the pocket... You watch the pattern develop. You know which guys are getting pulled which direction. You know, is the linebacker taking two steps back or two steps forward? That decides where you throw the into the receiver behind him or the drag to the tight end in front of him. You know, all these little things. It's just these simple decisions, just over and over and over, that you just want Montez to become robotic. And I think he's shown an ability to do that. And then when when chaos happens, that's when you kind of look for that big play. That's where you have him get creative because he does have that in him. And that's a lot of what he did the last couple of years is, you know, run around because he's, he's, he's in danger in the pocket. Um, and he's good at it. It's, it's a skill. It's a skill that he definitely possesses. It's just knowing when to use it and, you know, when to actually cut up field and run for yourself. The, I mean, I will say, if you are running the football, you, you better just run the football. Don't take three steps forward and then just kind of turtle. Don't pick up the first down, then run backwards two yards. If, if you have a lot of space, then run through that space. Run for your 10, 12 yards and slide. Get down, avoid the hit, but if you're choosing to run the ball on third and three and there's about three yards of space in front of you, you're getting hit no matter what. There's no way you can slide fast enough, and if you do, then it was a bad decision to run in the first place. You know, same thing on second and three even, especially in those late-game situations. If he runs, he needs to commit to being a runner. I think that, honestly, more than anything, that probably is my complaint with Steven's game, at least over the last few weeks. it was There was some ugly stuff in the first couple weeks of the season, but most of that is really gone. I, I think that he can be the quarterback of a good football team. I don't know that he could lead you to a like college football playoff or anything like that, but for a good football team, I think that he is a good quarterback. He just has to commit to running if he's going to run the ball. Don't be hesitant. Don't be scared because you made the decision to do it. And if you don't think that that's the right decision, if you aren't able to, like, don't don't make the decision thinking, okay, I can run and pick up six and then just fall over three yards because that, like, the, those, those numbers change the decision-making process. Like, if that's what you're going to do, find somebody you can throw a deep ball to and see if they can make a play on it. I think that's where things really don't add up, is that he's almost weighing his options with different numbers than he can actually pick up or is willing to commit himself to picking up. Um, we've talked a lot about this the last couple of days, but I, I mean, it kind of makes sense because he's doing a lot of other things well. He still gets the happy feet in the pocket sometimes. You know, this has been a transition asking him to step up, stand strong, be a pocket passer, and. Then roll out when things go get crazy and make something happen, and he's becoming a pretty good guy, pretty good quarterback in the pocket. You know, when you look at him, I, I, I who is his comparison? I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on like who his comparison is as a quarterback, like especially like an NFL quarterback, because I mean we've 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 given him some pretty lofty comparisons, you know some of that stuff that he's done is pretty Mahomesy. You know, he had he had the play where the pocket opened around him and all of a sudden there's running lane up the middle. He runs up the middle, but just before he gets the line of scrimmage, he draws the linebacker who is covering Alex Fontenot, pitches it forward five yards up the field to Fontenot, and Fontenot gets it and runs. You know, almost like an option play. Like, he has some of that in him. That touchdown to Brady Russell where he's weaving around the pocket, dodging guys. You know, that's almost like some Russell Wilson-y stuff. But then, you know, there's the missed passes. Sometimes he doesn't seem like, you know, a, a, what is it? He just looks a little bit timid and scared. And, you know, quarterback can't be that. And he even said today, you know, I'm, I'm not the loudest guy. That's not my thing. I don't go in there and try to pump everybody up. But before we go out and have a drive, after we give up a touchdown, whether it's a tie game or whatever, I just tell the guys, like, this is our opportunity to go put seven points on the board. So let's do it. Like, that's our job. All we're trying to do here is put those seven points on the board. And, you know, that's the right stuff. And. That was in that same answer where he said, if you get too high, you're going to do things that are uncharacteristic of yourself. You get too low, you're going to do things that are uncharacteristic of yourself. That's not what you want because if he can just add is it a little fire, like you see, it, the crazy thing is, like, you see him lay some blocks too. It seems like every other game he's he's hitting somebody you're like oh wow that's a quarterback who did that but then as soon as he gets the ball he's scared of contact you know as soon as he's dropping back in the pocket he starts hearing footsteps sometimes and usually it's after he's been hit a couple times I think that that's become very clear this year I think that it's something that in the past you know maybe it's just me coming in that was kind of like a narrative a theory like you know maybe he's He just feels like he's going to hit. It almost seems like it's after he gets hit that he starts to panicky. I think that that's been very obvious that it's what's happening this year. And you just wish it was a little less. You wish that he would stand just a little bit stronger. Uh, This has been a tangent from the running thing, but we love quarterback talk and he's going to be very important on Friday to beating Oregon. You know, I don't know that he can go back and forth with Justin Herbert But, I mean, that's what he's going to be asked to do to match everything Herbert does. And it's an incredible opportunity for him. Like I said, only only college football game that will be on TV for, like, the second half. I think there's one that will cover about the first half. People are going to be watching. People are going to be watching for Herbert. And if he can outperform him, then maybe you are talking second-round pick, third-round pick. Who knows? Who knows? It's still pretty early for him. We have to see how things shake out. But he has the talent i think that he's shown the mental capability i think that it's just almost almost relaxing like being willing to just take a little more contact being more that fiery leader you know baker mayfield wouldn't get scared of that kind of stuff and you might not be a big baker mayfield fan and that makes sense for a bunch of reasons i'm not at this point i was recently and then he got bad and it all just kind of turned ugly instead of fun kind of like a Fairweather fan, but whatever you feel about him, he drops back in the pocket, he takes a hit. He's not worried about that. He's willing to finish runs at the points in the game where he needs to finish runs. Um, Steven Montez could could lean a little bit more that way. And, you know, he's. it's still pretty early in the season. Played, what, five games now, seven to go. After this week, it's the midpoint. That's exciting. It's also pretty crazy that we're already here. I don't know what I'm going to do with the off offseason. Uh, I think that that's all I have for you today. We're going to get out of here. Tomorrow's going to be wild for me trying to wash all my clothes, pick out what I need to wear in Oregon. I'm going to be on three podcasts tomorrow, which is going to be probably too many um, with all the other things I have to do. I have to clean my car so that I can do that drift thing on Friday. Then my fight leaves for Portland at 6 a.m. Friday morning. So, yikes. <laughs> it's it's going to be a busy couple days. Uh, this is the bright spot, though, talking to you guys. Uh, leave some comments. Let me know. Give me some content to work with so I don't have to spend so much time coming up with it myself. Uh, we will be talking more about the Oregon defense tomorrow, which is exciting because, like I said, that's this team's mentality. Like, this, this offensive line just... They're almost like defensive players. It's just like this physicality that this totally different than what Oregon has been in the past and what Oregon was when the Colorado Buffaloes went into Otts and beat them a couple years ago. Okay, uh, I'll get out of here. I uh, should mention again that it was awesome uh, coming out to Blake Street Tavern to do this today. Awesome people. You guys should swing by. If you need a place to watch game Friday night, It's going to be crazy here, I promise. I caught that Arizona State game here. I did not travel for that one, and it was a lot of fun. So uh, come to Blake Street Tavern. It's where I spend like half of my life, and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye, guys.
1: and see you later baby, baby. Colorado Army, with soldiers like the Navy yeah. and boaters where we stationed patiently awaiting. Whoa. when I hit the field it's so hard to behave yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave look into my eyes I can tell that you afraid uh-huh. cause you know we finna hit ya hit, ya, hit ya. Hey. Hey. you on your own now Why you watching the official yeah. you just better hope you make it to the next whistle <laughs> and when you playing with ya you. you can get it Team at the I team. Team. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holla, get a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway, my Colorado sway. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway, my Colorado sway. Might I swear, I think. And when no minute go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a buzz with my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado sway, cause when i minute play, I don't really, oh really know just how to act. And when i minute in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Hollin get a bulls with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway, my Colorado sway. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway, my Colorado sway. Mine I swear, I think they like my Colorado sway.